bless that monarchy, how God promised that one of David's offspring would always be on the throne to rule God's people as God's king. And they rejoiced in that. And we saw that as the exiles came back from Babylon, excited to rebuild Jerusalem, fully aware of the difficulty and danger, they sang these psalms of ascent. And this is one of the ones that we believe they sang as they came back from Babylon and they get there and foreigners are ruling over them. Foreigners have more power. The Davidic monarchy is a joke at this point. God's people who remained and who came were being tempted by all sorts of evil there in the land because that's what they thought it took to get along in their culture. But they still sang this song rejoicing in God's presence, rejoicing in God's king, rejoicing in God's temple because those committed to God as their king they rejoice that God rules and God reigns in spite of the circumstances all around them. And again, as elections are coming up, it reminds us that the hope for the Christian is not in who wins elections. The hope for the Christian is in King Jesus, great King David's greater son. And so I want you to take your bulletin and turn back a couple pages to our confession of faith. I want you to be reminded again, as John Mark did through his prayer, as we did through the confession of faith, that Jesus Christ, how is, does he execute this office of a king? What does he do as our king? And Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So we should rejoice in that king. We should long for that king to come and rule even as we walk this path in this culture, in this life. And so this psalm today, Psalm 125, unpacks that desire for a ruling king. Now I'm emphasizing this because we live in a democracy. We don't rejoice in kings. And we like having the office of a president, but we don't rejoice in the office of a president regardless of the man or woman in the office like these people rejoiced in a king and like we are called to rejoice in our king. So we're going to see that today. If I could give you a theme for today, perhaps a one-sentence definition to remember, it would, it would be this. We can be carefree when we believe and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be carefree when we believe and embrace the gospel of King Jesus. I want you to think about that. We're going to get to the text, but that's a unique big concept for us in our day and age in 2014 in our town in Orangeburg especially I want you to think about the idea of being care free what comes to your mind well, I have a picture for you that I think comes to a lot of people's mind go ahead and show us this that's a pretty good one right that's a pretty good one yeah just look at that picture just look at that let the emotion of that picture just wash over you. They're not worrying about bills, that leak in the house, that check engine light that just came on yesterday in the car. How much is that going to cost? How your kids away at college are faring? Will the economy pick back up? Will people keep moving away from Orangeburg? Will my spouse and I make it? Am I going to lose my job? Imagine all of that just washing away. When was the last time you felt carefree? Just let it all go. You see, our culture wants to be carefree. 
I found all sorts of advice columns this week talking about being carefree, but most of them were just wishful thinking. <clears throat> In fact, my favorite quote, I just had to show it to you because it was so profound, let's just say, was this one. It says this, says, Only when you desire nothing can you be truly carefree. I find that rather unhelpful. Because I can't just, you know, click, turn off my desires. Can, can you? And if you can, will you come and lead a seminar right now on how to do that? I mean, ignore them, sure. We can learn to try to ignore it, but just turn them off. Just be desire nothing. I, I can't do that. I can't do that. See, our culture, though, wants to be carefree. It's looking for the secret of being carefree. Or how about this example? Now, before I give you this example, before I put this slide up, okay, Everybody here, 15 and under, especially girls, control yourselves, okay? And here's what I mean. Perhaps there's no better example of the desire to be carefree than the blockbuster, surprise blockbuster movie of this year. A cartoon, right? Frozen. Yes, this is Elsa. She is the queen of Arendelle. This movie has been seen by, yes, girls 15 and under like 13 times full price, but it's also been seen by so many adults because this movie has tapped into something in our culture. A cartoon has tapped into something. She has the ability to freeze things, but she can't control it, so she tries to hide it. And then sick of hiding it, one day her secret is exposed, so she decides to be completely carefree, right? Having no worries by casting off all care and concern for other people just saying, it's just going to be me, myself, and I. That's how I'm going to be carefree. And the highlight of this movie, I dare say, is her song. The famous song, Do Not Start Singing It, Let It Go, right? An anthem to what? Individualistic humanism. I'm casting off all care and concern. I'm casting off everything, all my responsibilities. I'm just going to let it all go and just be me. And whatever happens to the rest of the world, I don't care anymore. I'm letting it go. And that has spoken to our culture. People freak out about that song, right? It's crazy because it's tapped into this desire to be carefree, to be so sick and tired of worry and stress and performing for others, to just be happy and at peace in a stressful, crazy culture. I can totally relate. And I bet you can too. And if you can, this psalm's for you. How do we really be carefree? in King Jesus. Let's go together to God's Word. Psalm 125, <clears throat> a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Now, before we go to God's Word, let's pray together. Father God, we do come and we do ask that You would condescend and speak to us in Your Word. Lord, show us yet again, our sin and your gospel through Jesus Christ as the cure for that sin. 
Would you help us, Lord, by your Spirit through Jesus Christ to be carefree in you? And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we're going to see in this psalm is that he shows us how we can be carefree by believing in the king's protection. It begins with this great metaphor. Here's Jerusalem built on a mountaintop, surrounded by other higher mountains, and it's a wonderful defensible place. Now that's not our geography. We live in the swamps in South Carolina. So I want want to give you a glimpse of this metaphor, how powerful this metaphor is. is My first call right out of seminary was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And at Colorado Springs, Colorado is Pikes Peak. This is just a picture from an average street. There's nothing special about this picture. I believe this is probably Union and Fillmore, which means nothing to you. It's just an average intersection on an average day in Colorado Springs. That's the view. You face west, this is what you see. You wake up, this is what you see. You wake up early in the morning, because of the sunrise, this thing is just baked bright crimson red. It's awesome, and because it's there, the sunrise happens really early, and there's this long shadow, but it's just there. It's always there. You always know where west is in Colorado Springs. It's a huge backdrop to the city. Everyone expects it to be there. It's just taken for granted. It's immovable. It's always there, and this verse promises right here from the very beginning of this psalm that those who are carefree in the Lord are as steady and as enduring as a mountain. Now, as soon as I say that, most of us should think, but I am moved. I am not steady. I'm joyful one day and I'm depressed the next day. I'm full of faith in this moment and the next moment I'm scared to death and end up stumbling into something stupid. I'm riddled with fear and doubt. I'm not steady. I'm not immovable. So do you want the secret then to being rock steady? Do you want to have strength when all around you is not strong? It's found in trusting in the Lord, what this verse says. He will make you rock steady. We could actually translate this as trust is also the same word for being carefree for being at ease. Those who are at ease in the Lord are steady and immovable. Now, when I say just trust in the Lord, just trust God, that's one of those Christianisms, isn't it? We hear that a lot in church world. But but what does it really mean, right? How How do we do that? It means, again, feeling safe, being carefree. Do you feel safe in the Lord? See, if He's your King, if he has come in and transformed your life from the inside out, not just some hobby you've added to your life, not just some magic words you said when you were a kid and so now you go to church, but some has actually come in and transformed your heart, then he's your king. He rules and defends you. He subdued your enemies, and you can rest in his ruling and reigning. And if we find ourselves not carefree, it's because we are trying to be king in our life. Or we're looking to something else to rule and defend us, and we're not looking to the Lord God Almighty through Jesus Christ to rule and defend us. See, that's the secret to being carefree is to saying, yes, I will be carefree by placing my faith and trust in Jesus as my king. And then, again, don't start singing, I will let it go and trust in his rule and reign. Now, those are some heavy concepts. Here's how we put it uh, for the kids. Boys and girls, if you will, would you get out your bulletin? Look with me at your verse 1. Here's what we're talking about. Here's what God's Word says. Those who have no cares because of God 
are as unmovable as a mountain. See, boys and girls, let me ask you, do you worry about bills? Do you worry about how to pay for your house? Does it ever cross your mind how to make sure there's plenty of food in the kitchen for breakfast tomorrow? No, because mom and dad take care of that, don't they? And since they take care of those things, you're carefree about them. And that's what this verse promises about God, boys and girls. God takes care of his people so we don't have to worry. We can be free because God's going to handle it. See, for all of us, we can have that kind of simple, childlike faith if we just would. And verse 2 tells us why we should want this. Look with me at verse 2. It says this, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So how can we be carefree? How is what the gospel has to offer better than the wishful thinking of our culture? How is it better than just saying, well, just don't worry about anything. You don't, don't want anything and you won't worry about anything. How is this not wishful thinking? Because God's word tells us God surrounds his people like a fortress, like an army. God is around us taking care of us. See, I love at this point how honest the Bible is. It doesn't say that Christians don't have any enemies. We do. It assumes that we will feel insecure. It doesn't chide us for feeling insecure. Instead, it promises that God surrounds his insecure, fearful people like a fort, like an army encircling them. Anything that would cause us distress, God says, I got this, I'm there. So we should have courage and confidence in our faith because of God's protection. Here's how a fellow pastor named Josh Moody in Illinois, here's how he put it. He said this. He said, trusting in God is not precarious. It is like being in the safest military stronghold that the author of this psalm could imagine. Do not treat your faith, your trust, as something fragile like a flower that, if it's not constantly watered, will die. How often do we default to that mode of thinking about our faith, don't we? Oh, I've got to be careful. It's really insecure. Or with our kids, or, or especially when they go off to college, oh, I'm, I'm so afraid. It's, it's, so, it's so fragile. But the biblical picture of faith in Jesus Christ is strong. It's not weak. It makes us immovable. It makes us carefree. We can be carefree by believing in the king's protection. And that promise is for you today. Again, think about the catechism question we just asked. How does Christ execute the office of a king? What does Christ do as our king? It says he makes us his own. He rules and then he then defends us. And he pushes back or he restrains and conquers all of our enemies. In other words, what they're saying is he rules us so we can be carefree. You can be carefree. Those things that cause your brow to furrow, those things that bring down the corners of your mouth, those stressful, anxious thoughts and realities in your life, God can take those. God can protect you from those. If you will live in His kingdom as His subject in repentance and submitting to Him, He can make you carefree. That is not just wishful thinking. It is a promise, and it's for you. And here's a great question to ask yourself. How many of your friends of your co-workers, of your neighbors who don't go to church would desperately love 
to be carefree. We desperately love to have something real and tangible and powerful to deal with the stress rotting them out from the inside. And you have it. Sharing the gospel is not just saying Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan with your life. Sharing the gospel is coming to someone and saying, you realize that the creator of the universe has a cure for your stress. Because Christianity is about real life every day. Oh, would God open up our eyes and give us love for our neighbors that we would take this to them. See, there's another great application for us here as well, though. The surround form of this verb here, the word surround, is actually the verbal form of the noun for neighbor. In other words, it's not just saying God surrounds his people. An ultra-literal translation, we could say God is a neighbor to his people in verse 2. Isn't that amazing picture of what it means to be a neighbor? Surrounding, helping them feel protected and safe. God is a neighbor to his people is the promise. So when Jesus Christ comes and he tells a bunch of psalm-singing Jews to love their neighbors, this is what they think of. Surrounding and protecting like a fortress. Do we think about that as being a good neighbor? I mean, this is going way beyond being friendly, isn't it? This is having their back. This is caring enough to be involved. This is helping them feel more carefree because we live nearby. That's the biblical picture of being a good neighbor. And what a great picture of God's protecting love for us, that God wants to be our neighbor and have our back. What a great challenge for us to strive toward as we seek to bless our community and help them be carefree because we can be carefree when we embrace and believe the gospel of King Jesus. The next thing we see is we can be carefree by believing in the king's providence. Providence is one of those big Christian words again. It simply means it's the biblical idea of God being in control, that he works out human history for his purposes, and nothing occurs outside of his will. So with that in mind, we saw in verse 2, God protects providentially from external threats. He's a fortress to his people. And then in verse 3, we see God protects from internal threats. He promises in verse 3, ungodly leaders already in the land will not thrive over God's people because it leads God's people astray. Oh, there's a deep promise here. Look very closely at that wording there in verse 3. What does he say? He says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest. The wicked powers will not find rest. They won't be permanent in the place that God has determined. This is where my people are. That's a great promise there if you have ears to hear it. The powers of wickedness, spiritual, social, political, they don't get to be carefree like we do. Because God has said, you will not last, you will be movable, and you will not stay, be around forever. So therefore, wicked powers are fundamentally insecure because God has denied them the peace that he has promised us as our king. And why does he do this? He tells us because successful wickedness tempts God's people to wickedness. And we know that's true because we do it, don't we? Man, that guy doesn't go to church. And everything he does seems to be gold. He, he has no cares. He, seems, he has a nicer car, bigger house. I know that woman is bad news, and yet she seems to have it all. 
See, when the wicked are in charge, when the wicked prosper, it tempts us, doesn't it? Not to be carefree and happy in the Lord. That's why, again, think of that catechism question. We need King Jesus to rule us and to restrain our enemies because they're constantly coming after our heart. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 3. Here's what I'm trying to get mom and dad to understand. It says this, God won't let evil rulers have power over his people for long because it makes them want to do wrong like their rulers. Boys and girls, even though you know it's wrong, have you ever been tempted to lie? Maybe to mom and dad? Maybe to a teacher? And one of the reasons we're tempted to lie is because we see that others get away with it and it works, doesn't it? So to help us when we want to lie, God says here he will make sure that liars don't always get away with it. Isn't it nice to know, boys and girls, that God cares about us so much? He doesn't just give us a rule and say, okay, obey this, that he actually comes along and says, I'm going to make the circumstances in your life help you obey my rule. Isn't it great to know God cares for us that much? He actually helps us to obey him. That's the great thing about God. He loves us and he wants the best for us and so he helps us. And we need that because Christians are tempted to compromise. Cultural pressure makes living faithful, robust lives hard, doesn't it? Isn't it? So God helps us. So if you are one of God's people, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're giving yourself over to addictions, to wickedness, Maybe in order to find happiness or deal with your problems, you've, you've fallen into these traps. Maybe it's just you've done it for so long, you don't know another way. This psalm promises those things won't work. God will not let you find rest there. God won't let his people find peace in rebellion and wickedness because it's not for your best. And because it would tempt others in the community as well. God promises he won't. So let me ask you, maybe ask yourself, if you are not happy, are you giving yourself over to wickedness right now in your unhappiness? I mean, Christians have problems, we have fears, but we should be carefree in the Lord who surrounds us and protects us. I mean, if you notice in verse 4, I love this, how the carefree person from verse 1 is not withdrawn they're not aloof. They're not being Elsa and just letting everything go and say, I don't care, it's all about me. No, they care deeply. They pray earnestly for God to do good. And notice also, they don't call down judgment on the folks from verse 3, do they? In fact, they say, okay, here's verse 3, you know what? God, do good to the good. They let that, that desire for punishment go and say, God, would you do good? If you know someone, someone you love deeply, and they are pursuing after wickedness, this is hard. But look at this verse, verse 3 and verse 4, and realize you need to ask God to make them miserable. Ask God to deny them peace. Ask God to be true to verse 3 and say, do not give them rest in that wickedness so they will come back to repentance and then trust God to do it 
and then you're carefree. That's hard, I know. We all have people we love who are going down a wrong path, and it is very hard to say, God, thwart them. God, do not let them find rest. God, do not give them peace because this is for their destruction. Please turn them around. Let the circumstances hurt so much that they will say, this is not working. Maybe all that stuff I learned in Sunday school will, will work. Let's try this. And then trust God to do it instead of, it's going to work. Because that's not being carefree and trusting, is it? This is hard, isn't it? This is real life. This is, it's almost like this was written by real people dealing with real faith in a real world. But we can be carefree when we believe and embrace the gospel of King Jesus and say, I trust in your providence. And finally, we can be carefree by believing in the King's gospel. Look with me, if you would, at verse 4. What does he pray for? He says, Do good, Lord, to those who are upright in their hearts. Literally, upright there means straight. So he says, Do good to those who are straight in their hearts, which makes sense with verse 5. Let's go on, look at verse 5. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. So peace be upon Israel. So in verse 4, we've got do good to those who are straight, but in verse 5, but if they're crooked, lead them away. This is about the inner person. This is the same Old Testament. Do not default to that slander that's always on the Old Testament. This Old Testament was about works. New Testament was about grace. No, no, no. These people did not think, okay, so he's calling me to perform more, so he'll be good. No, the same Old Testament that says this, says there is no one who's righteous. The same Old Testament says there is no one who does good. They knew they needed internal change, not better performance. This is a prayer for God to change people into the good, into the straight, and then bless them because he's changed them. This is praying for an internal change to be brought about by grace. And it contrasts with verse 5 who says those who are led astray by the evil from verse 3 or by their own hearts or probably both, give them up to God to deal with. Don't judge them. Don't, go, don't, don't call down curses on them. Say, Lord, deal with these people. And that way there's peace in God's family. We could actually translate that last little phrase, relax, peace, be carefree, be secure, and at ease because God is running the show. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 5. Here's how this psalm ends. It says this, But to those who choose the bad path, God will take away with all the other bad people. Let your people have peace. How is that not wishful thinking? And let's be candid. That still sounds very much like wishful thinking. And the answer is because of the reality of the gospel. I want to go back. Make sure you don't miss this. I want to go back to Frozen. Those of you who've seen the movie, you remember how is Elsa's curse finally overcome? She has to have love rather than fear. Elsa learns to conquer her fear with love, which comes right from the Bible, right? 1 John 4.18, perfect love drives out fear. But in real life, and I love this about this movie, in real life, it's got to be more than a feeling. 
It's not just, oh, work up a bunch of love inside yourself and you'll be happy. No, there has to be a tangible, sacrificial manifestation of real love for it to work. And so what happens? Well, what happens is her sister, Anna, her sister, Anna, gave her life to save her sister. In an act of true love, Anna actually dies for Elsa in the movie, and it changed Elsa. It set her free from the fear that tormented her all her life, and it made her the carefree, happy person that her selfish, let-it-go attitude could not do. You see, the psalmist here can pronounce peace upon Israel, peace upon God's people. He can instruct them to relax, be carefree in God, because Jesus Christ did, verse 5, he was led away from Jerusalem with the crooked and the wicked. And outside the city, in an act of true love, he was crucified for his people. By his life, death, and resurrection, God's people are then made straight. Jesus changes us and makes us good. God himself applies the work of Jesus Christ to our hearts. He changes us by his grace so we can have peace. We can be free from the cares and worries that make us not carefree because we rest in the sacrificial love of another who died for us and set us free. We can be carefree because of the gospel of King Jesus if we believe it. Do you know this gospel that sets you free, that gives you freedom from fear and worry so you can say, I trust in the Lord and I am as unmovable as a mountain. Even when the stress and the trials, which will not go away, keep coming, can you be carefree in God's grace? You can if you know Jesus Christ as King. And so I invite you now to cast off everything you think you know about religion, everything you think you know about church and Jesus, to simply say, am I placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected King? And does that change me? Because you can have this freedom in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we do thank you and praise you for your grace. Lord, it is amazing. Lord, we thank you and, and praise you that in the depths of our sin and our fear and our selfishness, you did not tell us to perform better and then you would help us, but you came to us in our fear and our problems. You entered into our world of trial and pain. You endured it. And then in your death, you absorbed our sin and made us straight. You set us free from fear. And then in your resurrection, you were ascended as king. And now you rule and defend us. Lord, would you help us to believe these things yet again? Holy Spirit, would you come and speak this truth to our hearts that we might know the freedom of the gospel. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.